With the brand new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone ever on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for just $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. I'd like to welcome you to The Source here at Saga 960. And uh, we're very excited to have our guest with us today on the show. Um, you can hear us every Saturday and Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. Well, today on The Source, we have Barry Brown. He's a Pulitzer Prize-nominated Canadian journalist who is currently working as the Canadian News Chief for The Washington Times. Welcome to the show, Barry. Well, thank you, Annie. It's a wonderful pleasure to be here. And it's uh, wonderful be- to be able to talk to you specifically about a couple of things uh, with regard. Um, this is a historical show or a, a, a walk through history and, and going back into some of the roots. And it's uh, something that's very, very interesting for me. So I'm looking forward to our conversation that we're going to have over the course of uh, um, the next hour or so. Now, one of the areas I wanted to talk to you about was something that a lot of people have no clue about. And the fact is that we have in India uh, a huge Jewish community and Uh they are known as the Bene Israelites. Um, And Uh uh, these are Bene being sons of Israel. And they believe that... uh, this community of Jews who have are uh, in India are made up of descendants of one of the disputed lost tribes and the ancestors who settled there years ago. Um, what's your make on that? What's your take on that? Well, um, I know some people have talked about them as the lost tribe, but as I understand the history, um, uh, ancient India and ancient Israel had a fairly extensive uh, trading and cultural relationship uh, going back to about 3,000 years ago or more. Uh, in fact, in the Kashmir, when I was doing a talk to the uh, Hindu Writers Guild, a man from Kashmir came up and was telling me that uh, in Kashmir there are many places where uh, the people there identify them as like the uh, tomb of Moses and the throne of Solomon, or words of that sort, um, you know, identifying biblical characters. And there's even a legend that King Solomon of the Bible, one of the famous kings of ancient Israel, uh, actually lived in Kashmir for a while after he was king, and that there was quite a large um, community there of Jewish or Hebrew people, which are the people who came out of the Indus River Valley. Uh, in right. fact, there's another report uh, you may have read in a, a citation that I have in my book about uh, uh, an Iranian scholar uh, back in the 1200s, I think it was, who was saying that at that time, uh, only Jews were allowed to uh, live in Kashmir. So That's quite uh, interesting. So yeah, um, very long history. And uh, I come from, uh, originally my parents come from a state in India called Kerala and there were Jews there where they're called the Cochin Jews and uh, they're you know recently they have mapped out the historical legend that narrates their arrival and prosperity in India now 
Cochin Jews, um, it was very important. Um, the research that I looked at stated that uh, their link between Israel and India uh, concluded that the Cochin Jews um, story, it was supposed to be, apparently it was legend, um, they were able to substantiate that and factually prove that through DNA analysis to yeah. substantiate the fact that they are um, historically part of, first off, Jewish and coming and descending from, um, you know, from ancient uh, Israel. Right. Yeah, it's funny when you say that they are Jewish, question mark, at the end of your voice, because they're dark-skinned. But uh, in fact, um, just like India uh, is made up of many, many people, uh, as you go back in time, you know, all the different families and people who came in India tens of thousands of years ago and all the mixtures that have been done for many thousands of years before people started separating in caste. So similarly, in the Jewish history in the Bible, uh, although we tend to think of it as the story of one group of people, it isn't. It's really about three different but related groups. And actually, right. this is part of what started me on this story is the fact that according to Jewish history, the Garden of Eden was in India. And right, the original right. people of the Bible came out of India right. and uh, came out of the Indus River Valley. That was the Noah story when the right. Indus River collapses from climate change. Right. And of course, We'll get to that, uh, you know, Barry, we'll okay. get to that portion later on, because I do want to lead right. you through the journey. And I want our listeners to be able to go through the journey of where you're leading them through your book and through the analysis sure. and the research that you've done. But when uh -huh. you spoke about um, uh, the question mark in my voice, well, it wasn't just my voice that was saying it. It's proven that even when the Jews of India moved back to Israel, the Jewish uh, Israelis there question their Jewishness. So if you look at Beersheba in Israel, there is a community of Indian origin Jews who migrated there soon after Israel was created. And mm -hmm. the Bene population, the Bene Israel population, um, which is not thought to number more than I would say around 80,000 or so, um, mm -hmm. they have come from the western state of India and Maharashtra, which, you know, we're spoke in your book, you mentioned about uh, Mumbai, which is in Maharashtra. Now, the the, the, the ones that migrated in the 50s and 60s actually experienced a lot of uh, racism when they were going there and marginalized were marginalized for their skin color because they were not considered to be Jewish. Uh -huh. and, yeah, well, you know, there's unfortunately racism everywhere. Yeah, and <laughs> but, it wasn't uh, because they it, it were intending on being racist. I think it's no, because they just, didn't, didn't even realize that well, there were Indian Jews on the Israeli well, side, right? Yeah, I know. I guess... You know, some people tend to get like that in different groups, you know, Jewish, Indian, everybody, <laughs> who's pure, yeah. who's not, you know. And, and as, as you point out, it's not even necessarily racism. They didn't know the history. Exactly. Because right? the history has been lost. And in fact, one of the things that was quite fascinating in the research was to find the family links that uh, the founding family of the India's Brahmins our ancestors of what are called the born the Levites, which are the born right. priests in Judaism. Right. <laughs> and as you read in my book, <clears throat> excuse me, the history of the trading relationship, you know, goes back uh, again three thousand years. Solomon's temple, famous temple, is talked about in the Bible. He got uh, something like fourteen tons of gold 
from India to decorate it. So, right. and that's according to the biblical story. So, right. So, tell me um, what prompted you to begin to begin this historical um, delve into history uh, with relation to your story and uh, with relation to the history of Jews in India. Sure. Well, I'm a journalist, and uh, I'm sort of as an investigative journalist, I have the instincts of a detective. So when I find a mystery, <laughs> my instinct is to try and solve it. So many about 10 years ago, um, I came across an obscure quote from the Greek philosopher Aristotle, who lived about 2,300 years ago. Right. And uh, he said, the Jewish people are descended from the Brahmin priests of ancient India. So I was real curious about this. And I was curious for three particular reasons, personal reasons. I'm Jewish. When I was younger, I spent three years as a Hare Krishna monk, uh, living in the temple, studying the Vedas and Sanskrit, and I was initiated as a Brahmin with a fire ceremony and uh, sacred thread and Gayatri Mantra and the whole thing. Uh, and thirdly, I'm an investigative reporter, so I just was curious at first to know whether Aristotle was right. So I kind of put on my fedora, and I decided to look at the Bible and see if there was anything in there that gave us any credibility. I mean, I'm not particularly religious, but, you know, you need to use the Bible as some kind of a source, right? Anyway, uh, you know, as some people may know, the story of human civilization in the Bible begins with this tale of the Garden of Eden. So my interest wasn't in about the details of the story, the two people and the talking snake. My only interest really was geography. Where was Eden? So according to the book, uh, Eden is in the easternmost part of a larger land called Havila. So, of course, my next question was, where was Havila? So I turned to the 1906 20-volume Jewish Encyclopedia, and it tells me that the oldest traditions in Judaism and Christianity uh, both agree that Havila was India, and uh, Eden being in the easternmost part by a river that the Bible calls the Pishon, the Pishon is the Ganges. So now I'm really curious, really. <laughs> All right. Wow. Yeah, so biblical history starts off in India. Then, of course, my next question is, why and what happened? So the Jewish calendar, uh, which is, you know, basically biblical history, the Jewish calendar is about uh, 5,800 years old this year, 5,878 or something like that. And uh, so I, I, my question now was, all right, uh, if biblical history starts in India, something on the order of roughly 6,000 years ago, what happened that could have started this history? Now, uh, as a historian, I knew that whatever happened in India 6,000 years ago, it couldn't have been a religious event because there are no organized religions yet. There's no Hebrew people. There's no Jewish people. There's no Hindus. Hinduism, you know, gets your name from the Indus River Valley civilization, which comes later. So none of the, there are no organized religions anywhere in the world 6,000 years ago. So I realized whatever happened, it had to be an event of such momentous importance that it was almost like creating a new kind of human being. And, of course, I know what happens in India roughly 6,000 years ago, and that's the Great War that ends ancient India's history at the end of the Mahabharata. Right, and, and so, so we have mm-hmm. um, uh, historical evidence that Jews in India have lived, or there is that they're considered Jews, um, and uh, they were living in India over two thousand years ago. And the fact was that they were living there very peacefully. They were not discriminated against. They were able to practice. They were able to do, live uh, in a very peaceful environment. So um, mm-hmm. there's evidence of this for for from historical records. 
Oh, yeah. In fact, growing up Jewish, most people, um, I know, I was told, you know, that India was like the only major country in the world that never had any organized anti-Semitism at all. Because, of course, you know, the heritage of uh, Indian philosophy and spiritual teachings is that all approaches to God are, you know, valid because everybody perceives God in a different way. Absolutely. And so as you are tuning into The Source this afternoon, you are listening to Barry Brown, who is a Pulitzer Prize nominated author. And uh, it's an honor to be able to speak to him here in our studio. You are listening to The Source. We are going to take a short break right now and we will be right back. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. to give you a warm welcome again to the source here on saga 960 am if you have a story that needs to be told an event you want mentioned or you just want to come and chat with us get in touch with us you can send an email to me here at info at saga 960 am.ca or drop me a line on one of my social media pages i'd be very happy to have you on air with me and uh, talk about your life and your story well, we are here every Saturday and Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. when we cover events, people, and stories. In studio with us today, we've got Barry Brown. He's a veteran Pulitzer Prize-nominated journalist who has written for the Baltimore Sun and the Washington Times, amongst many other publications. Welcome, Barry, back to our, our show. Thanks. Wonderful to be here. Well, you gave us a perfect segue in the last segment with regard to the Great War. Well, among the artifacts of the Stone Age history, there's a period lasting, this is a period that's lasting more than a, a million years. There are no weapons of war. And as a result, the world's first free uh, public schools and universities were built around 12,000 years ago. The first art was created about 40,000 years ago. And long-distance trade, as you mentioned in our first segment, happened um, you know, between humans and other prehistoric people. And that was as far back as 400,000 years ago. Well, mm -hmm. you read that quote with regard uh, claiming the ancestors of the Jews, the Hebrew people of the early Bible, came to the Middle East from ancient India. And that yes. prompted your research. Well, mm -hmm. my question is, um, can we really cooperate and get along with each other? You know, that's a wonderful question. And uh, it's, it's a very important question today because a lot of times we see uh, in entertainment sources, uh, academic sources and others, where they say that, you know, war is natural for people. It's uh, people, uh, the idea of people living together, different people living together, living together in peace, uh, you know, is, is something artificial and uh, not natural. And the people are always suspicious of strangers. And then we've always fought with each other. In fact, there's, you know, uh, people out there who will say that, uh, you know, humans are, are homo sapien ancestors killed off the Neanderthals. Okay? Now, now, the fact of the matter is there's absolutely no evidence for any of that. And more to the point, we could not have created human civilization with common languages, travel, trade, and innovation that is shared all around the world by all kinds of people who come from all kinds of different backgrounds had we not, in the beginning, and continue to, uh, share things and trade things between people because we trust each other. 
uh, if there was no trust in the world, if people were really the way they are often painted, if prehistoric people were the way they were painted, being basically suspicious and fearful of others and be ignorant flea pickers off their bodies and afraid of all natural forces because they think gods are after them and stuff, if people had really been the way that they are painted, we never would have advanced. We would have stagnated and stayed that way. We right. would have gone like Neanderthal. And if you're looking uh, at ancient Greece and ancient Rome, we see things like the viaducts and all of that sort of, um, there's proof in history that there was a, Rome was one of the most advanced civilizations in the uh-huh. creation of so many things that we use even today, like the sure. basic technology that's based on what they were created by the Greeks and the Romans. Yeah, or going back even farther, the language that we're speaking, the English language, is part of a the largest and oldest family of languages in the world called Indo-European languages, exactly. which are spoken by some 400 million people you know, in, in uh, dozens of different countries, all the way from, you know, India to Iceland. Exactly. Uh, and all ba- of those were... Yeah, based in, like, things like Sanskrit, you know, the original, yeah. right? And the other yeah. uh, Romaic uh, languages, Latin. Yeah. Um, yeah, they all come out of this, they all the same. Exactly. So, again, you know, why are people picking up other people's languages uh, in order and passing them along so that all these languages are related in the same way that you're related to family members, words are also families, you know? And all of these people are related because that huge trading area, you know, people just kept moving along and trading with other people and taking language with them like an inheritance that they were passing along. And this is the way all of human civilization has developed, all of the knowledge that we had in the beginning, the, you know, the techniques and the skills that we developed in language, we shared them with other people. <laughs> we passed them along like an inheritance. Because <clears throat> remember, in the beginning, there's no writing. There's no way of, of putting down any of this stuff. So if you're, if you're going to create a language, you have to hold on to words like they're valuable pieces of jewelry, and you're passing them down to your children. Okay? And, you're, and at the, in the beginning, there is no differences. People aren't seeing differences in race. They're not seeing differences in ethnic background. And we know this in particular because we don't even recognize differences in human species. You know, people mix and mated with Neanderthals. People today have freckles and, you know, a large protruding forehead. You know, uh, they've got Neanderthal genes in them. Uh, we also de- mixed with another extinct species of humans called Denisovans. And Denisovans mixed with Neanderthals and so on and so forth all the way back. So humanity really is one big family. And my book is all about how this family developed. And so we see through the passage of time that the early communication happened through a form of uh, pictographs and the cave yeah. cave writing and all of that was through a form of, um, you know, depicting everyday scenes and, and creating it forever mm-hmm. by painting it on the walls. And this goes, and this is of custom that is then turned into an art form, for example, in India with a lot of the art depicting everyday village life, for example, and that is now considered a type of art form. Um, now, communication, as we were talking about, uh, and cooperation with each other, it was ev- evident that there was a lot of cooperation between India and um, the rest of the, the, the world. What was the most difficult aspect for you in terms of finding out some of this information and researching it and validating your data? Well, you know, 
finding information in and of itself has a certain challenge to it, any, no matter what you're looking for. But it's not really the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge isn't just finding out what happened. It's trying to understand why it happened. Okay, right. This is actually what my book does that's different than all the stuff that's out before. Lots of people in the past, there are books I found, for example, on the connection between you know, Jewish people and, and Indian people and the similarities between Judaism and Hinduism. There are lots of books. Hundreds of years ago, people have been seeing these things. But what they haven't figured out is what the big picture is. You know, it's like when you were talking before about war. We were mentioning, you know, that uh, people think that war is a natural thing, but uh, really, of the nine million species of life on Earth, only three—some ants, some chimpanzees, and some people—go to war. Other than that, of the nine million species of life on Earth, none of them have aggressive warfare. Doesn't mean they don't fight occasionally. <laughs> people right. fight. Okay, but going to war to you know exterminate a bunch of other people and steal all their stuff—that's uh, fairly that's recent. That's only the last six thousand years. There really hasn't been any. War. There wasn't any war before that. Now it's interesting that you raise that. So our closest uh, relation to the animal world being chimpanzee, it's yeah. evident, and there is lots of evidence about it that they have there is a line of aggression within them. You know, they... Not so, actually. I mean, I know we see the, for those, for those who have seen it in the 2001 the Space Odyssey movie at the beginning, where you have the chimpanzee there with the bone and, you know, cracking skulls and that. Um, chimpanzees actually have an undeserved reputation for being violent, and people use that, you know, sometimes to say, see, we're closely related to the chimpanzees, so we're violent, too. Uh, but a paper that I was reading in Scientific American, uh, they did a study of, I think it was 24 different tribes of chimpanzees for 15 years or something like that, and uh, they found less than one act of intertribal aggression per year. Less than one per year. I mean, most cities in the world would be happy to have that <laughs> crime right. rate. <laughs> you know? Well, they uh, are our close, yeah. Yeah. Now, they actually share nearly 99% of our DNA as human yeah. beings. They are as closely related to humans um, and more closely related to humans than even gorillas. Um, but it is far, far more beyond that. There are several characteristics along with the anger or aggression, which they do have. Um, there's a lot of characteristics that they are known for, but um, one of them is also that they have the same sense of humor. They, they're ticklish. Um, you know, yeah. they um, spend the early years of their lives socializing and playing and learning about their environment the same way that human children do. And we've seen examples of um, gorilla mums, for example, or chimpanzee mums sitting there eating and their little one is climbing a tree and she reaches out her hand and she pulls the ankle down because just like any other human mother, um, she would be wary of that, right? Now, although yeah. the human brain is larger than the chimpanzee brain, it is structurally identical um, uh -huh. to that of the chimpanzee. So there, there's a lot of similarity and there's a lot of things to learn with regard to them in how they live in a community environment as well. Yeah, in fact, uh, one of the other points about chimpanzees and us, you know, just like there are many kinds of humans with different attitudes, similarly with the chimpanzee. So you've got chimpanzees and you've got a type of chimpanzee called bonobos. So one kind of chimpanzee, you know, this sort of central kind, uh, they tend to be uh, male-dominated societies and they, you know, kind of suspicious and aggressive towards outsiders. But the bonobos, who are also chimpanzees, 
are exactly the opposite. They have a much more egalitarian type society. Uh, women are, are equal to the males. Uh, they're very welcoming to uh, to others from the outside. And uh, they kind of said to be like hippies. You know, there's time of aggression. Everybody goes and has sex together. And they all feel much better at the end. Right. <laughs> and, they, and they don't fight as much. You know, it's... <laughs> That's their culture. Right. (laughs) Well, we have been in studio with Barry Brown, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have him here. We've spoken in detail about his book, um, parts and pieces of the book that you can find on Amazon. And in this last segment, we've spoken to him about his journey as an author. And I can vouch as an author myself, it is not easy. And it's not easy to get that award winning uh, title to your book and to your name. It's not easy to get your book published. So if you're able to and you've accomplished that, hats off to you. That's something that is truly an accomplishment. Barry, it's been an honor to have you here uh, in studio to speak with me. And uh, we hope to have you back when your next book is published and out. I'd love to go back into history and talk to you again about uh, your take on the topics that you're researching. Well, thank you very much, Annie. It was a great pleasure to speak to you and your audience. And uh, I look forward to uh, another time. And that is the source for this weekend. Uh, You're listening to Annie, and you can hear us every Saturday and Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. I hope you have a lovely afternoon. Take care. Bye-bye. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. With the brand new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone ever on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for just $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. With the brand new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone ever on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for just $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details.